This fall, we're preaching a sermon series called The Greatest of These about, about, about Paul's multifaceted description of love in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of humans and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clashing cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have enough faith to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is never envious or arrogant or boastful or rude, says St. Paul. And then I've been pairing this multifaceted description of love from Paul with another scripture passage, which kind of unfolds what he's trying to talk about, including this passage from the epistle to Titus. I don't have the time to talk about it in my sermon, so listen carefully while I read it or read it yourself. Titus chapter 3. Speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling. Be gentle, show every courtesy to everyone. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, despicable, hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, God saved us. This spirit God poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Avoid stupid controversies, dissensions, and quarrels for they're unprofitable and worthless. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul wants to show us that the common concept of love is not simple and singular, but complex and compound. He wants to tell us that it's not really a smooth round pebble it's more like a multifaceted diamond where every plane sparkles in the sunshine and in first corinthians 13 paul tells us that there are some things love is but there are more things love is not love is patient says saint paul love is kind says saint paul love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude says St. Paul. Love is courteous, says St. Paul. He doesn't quite say this, but almost it is impossible to be loving and rude at the same time. Now, admittedly, courtesy is a smaller virtue than the others I've mentioned, right? It's not as integral to our lives as patience and kindness, equanimity and humility. It's a small little thing. I mean, really, Is it loving to say please and thank you and to empty the dishwasher and take out the trash and make the bed? Is that where we're going in this towering theological masterpiece that Paul gives us? Please and thank you. But actually there's more going on here than it appears. The Greek word our English Bibles translate as rude is more spacious and sprawling that. It means don't be unseemly. Don't be disgraceful. Don't be disgusting. Don't be indecent. Don't embarrass your mother. Don't act like a fraternity brother. I heard the most wonderful compliment this week. Maybe you noticed that Tim Wakefield died this week. He was only 57 years old and died from a brain tumor. Tim Wakefield was a pitcher for the Boston Red Sox for 17 years, including in 2004, 
when Tim Wakefield helped the Red Sox win their first world championship since 1918, 86 years. Tim Wakefield was universally loved and universally respected. In 2010, he won the Roberto Clemente Humanitarian Award for all the kindnesses and services he and his family provided to the communities they lived in. And the reason everybody was so fascinated with Tim Wakefield is that 90% of his pitches were knuckleballs. Now, if you're a baseball fan, you know that a knuckleball has no spin. And because it has no spin, it floats and flutters and dips and dives and goes sideways on its way to the plate. And it can be very difficult to hit, even though a typical Tim Wakefield knuckleball traveled at, get this, 68 miles per hour. All of his MLB pitcher colleagues are blistering fastballs at 100 miles an hour, and Tim Wakefield is throwing his silly little pitch at 68 miles per hour, but he lived and died by that 68-mile-per-hour knuckleball. And so Jason Giambi, the slugging first baseman for the Yankees and the A's and others, for 20 years said, the only way to hit a Tim Wakefield knuckleball is to be in a drunken stupor. <laughs> I thought that was such a nice compliment. And Yankee outfielder Bobby Mercer was almost as good. He says... Trying to hit a Tim Wakefield knuckleball is like trying to eat jello with chopsticks. And so what Paul wants to say is, don't act like a fraternity brother. Don't embarrass your mother. Don't be in a drunken stupor unless you're trying to hit a Tim Wakefield knuckleball. I've told you before that I met my wife when we were both toddlers at church nursery. Her house was on my paper route. Her father was my dentist. I married the girl next door, literally. Now, it's not a meet-cute story like you find in a rom-com, but it can work out. And in fact, I'm kind of proud that I passed this courtship style along to both of my children. Both of my children married the kid next door, literally. They both married Greenwich High School classmates. My daughter, Taylor, married a guy named Christian, whose backyard was adjacent to mine. Christian cut through my driveway to get to school every weekday for six years to get to the old Greenwich school. He and Taylor hung out multiple times a week from kindergarten through high school, and then they went to separate colleges, and, and they disappeared from each other's lives. About seven years ago, my daughter Taylor was living back in Greenwich where she was raised, and I had to go back there to do a wedding or a funeral or something, and I visited my daughter. And my friend invited me to a Mets game at City Field. He had four tickets, he said. You come with me and bring two friends. And I said, Taylor, why don't you come with Phil and me to the Mets game at City Field? You can bring a friend. Now, imagine my surprise when the friend she brings is Christian. I hadn't thought about this kid since he was 17 years old. I didn't know they were a thing. So we're driving to City Field for the Mets game. I'm in the car getting reacquainted with this kid I haven't thought about since he was 17 years of age, and I'm peppering him with questions. My children call me the Grand Inquisitor. I'm peppering him with questions, and every answer is yes, sir, and no, sir. He is the most polite and solicitous person I've met in a long time. Maybe it's just a show for his new girlfriend's father, or maybe this is who he really is. And finally, I say, Christian, are you in the Marines? And he says, no, sir. And I say, Christian, are you an Eagle Scout? He said, yes, sir. 
that can work out. To this day, Christian is the first one to jump up from the table to clear it after dinner or to do the dishes or to fetch a book from the third floor or to run an errand. If you tell Christian to jump, he will ask how high on the way up. If Jesus ever met Christian, Jesus would say, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. It's just the smallest thing, common courtesy, but it matters because it's honor, it's regard, it's respect. Common courtesy is one of the shiny facets of love. It sparkles in the sun, sunshine. In fact, it is a sine qua non for a loving person. And you know, here's the thing. You know when we're likeliest to forget our common courtesies? When we're likely to be rude? It's when we're with the people we love most in all the world, right? Our family and friends. It's because we can. We can get away with it. They're not going to leave us. They love us. And sometimes we forget our manners. When I was serving my church in Grand Rapids, my friend Neil Plantinga was the dean of the chapel at Calvin College, my alma mater in Grand Rapids. Neil is really a splendid, thoughtful, helpful, practical theologian. Dr. Plantinga says, half of Miss Manners belongs in a sermon. And I will tell you why. It's because actions lead to practices, and practices lead to habits, and habits lead to character, and character leads to destiny. Yes? And so Dr. Plantinga talks about all the little things that mark our days, right? All the little rudenesses we can be capable of, like pre-purchase product abandonment at the grocery store. This is when you put an item in your shopping cart, but then when you get to the checkout lane, you change your mind, decide you don't want it, set it on the magazine rack. Pre-purchase product abandonment. Or we might talk about a post-purchase cart abandonment. This is when you fail to return your shopping cart to the corral and leave it in the parking lot to ding up somebody else's car. All these tiny little things, please, thank you, yes sir, no sir, being kind to the server at Great Coast Commons and tipping her huge. Because actions lead to practices and practices lead to habits and habits lead to character and character leads to destiny. And you know what we're doing when we practice these common courtesies? We're, we're rehearsing. We're rehearsing for the main show and the main stage, the bigger challenges of life. Because we're hoping that our common courtesies will one day morph into compassion and courage and kindness and care. Because we want to hear Jesus say at the end, I was hungry and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Welcome, friend. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world.